Welcome to leadership is a personal choice. We named it that way because it is. Leadership is about taking ownership, about being responsible for yourself to ensure that whatever happens to you or whatever happens around you is positive and good for everybody. I hope you enjoy this podcasts and do let us know, rate them, send us your suggestions and send us your comments. Happy listening. I'm a business consultant and uh, my friends in consulting will recognize the term ROI, return on investment. So the title of this podcast is maximize your ROI. Let me begin by saying that as I grow older, I'm aware of an ever increasing sense of urgency. A feeling that I have progressively less time left to leave behind a legacy that can be a credit to me. This sense of urgency has nothing to do with the fact that the reality of time running out is one that we all face. It has more to do with the desire to do something to maximize the benefit of the time that I have left. Naturally, like all of us, I have no idea how much exactly is left. So all the more reason to act fast. In this process, I developed a theory based on my own life experience, which I call living thoughtfully. I believe that before we act, if we think about what we are about to do, the reasons for it, the possible effects of it, and the other alternatives that we may have, and then ask ourselves, do I really want to do this? Then we will be able to vastly improve our effectiveness. I am Muslim and I use the Quran and the Sunnah as my basis for decision making. And that's what I've used here as well. You, the reader, however, will I hope find these reflections both interesting and usable, even if you are not Muslim, because integrity, morals, ethics, and concern for others are universal values. I take them from the word of Allah and the teachings of His Messenger Muhammad because I believe that one day, I will be held accountable before Allah for what I did. In living thoughtfully, the most important matter is to check our intention. That is why one of the most important sayings and teachings of Muhammad ﷺ, the Messenger of Allah is, the reward of a deed is based on its intention. I will repeat that. He said, the reward of a deed is based on its intention. A bribe is after all a gift. The difference which makes one right and the other wrong is the intention. Imam Nawawi, one of the most eminent scholars of Hadith, writing about the importance of intention in his book, Al-Riyadu Salihin, he said, Live with the awareness of the intention in all that we say, in all that we do, and in every situation that we find ourselves, whether visible or hidden. Imagine living with such a heightened sense of purpose that before a person says anything, he asks himself why he is planning to say it, thinks of the effect of his words, what that effect is likely to be, and takes responsibility for that. He does the same with every action of his and reflects on its contribution to any situation that he is faced with. If we behaved with such a tremendous sense of responsibility, no matter what our position in life, what a wonderful world we would be able to create around us. Our problems of inequity, poverty, environmental degradation, and moral bankruptcy can all be traced to one source, 
a lack of responsibility for our speech and actions. We lack concern. We must change this. I contrast living thoughtfully with the opposite, living thoughtlessly, just remaining alive like a cow or a goat. Not that I have anything against cows or goats, but would like to believe that I am different. I have called this maximizing ROI, which stands for maximizing return on investment. Because our time, our time, our energy, money, emotions, thoughts, aspirations, desires and the choices we make are all investments into our lives. Albeit sometimes, or for some of us, most of the time, unconscious. It is important, therefore, that we stop to assess what the return on our investment is, especially as much of that investment is impossible to retrieve once it's made. Yet, it will have consequences, whether we like them or not. When we look around us, we see that some people seem to accomplish far more than others, though all of us have the same amount of time. The others complain that they have no time. But if you ask them, can you tell me what you did yesterday and why was it important? They are not able, for the most part, even to recall what they did, let alone be able to say why it was important. The same thing is true of other resources which we have at our disposal, be it money or network of people or access to education or anything else. It is my contention, therefore, that the secret of accomplishment lies not in the amount of time or resources that we have, but in what we do with them, how we use them, how we leverage them, how we conserve them or spend them. The secret is in living thoughtfully. Living thoughtfully is not only about being goal-focused, but also about being aware and concerned about the effect of our actions, the process of getting to the goal, of being conscious about the fact that while we need to accomplish our goals, we need to find ways of doing that without damaging or harming or oppressing others. Our problems today with global issues, be those related to wars, global warming, rapacious grasping of resources by those who have the power to do so, and consequently more expenditure on military and weapons than on health, education and eradication of poverty, they all relate to living thoughtlessly. Living as if the consequences of our actions will not come home to roost on our own rafters. Just as they say, when a butterfly flaps its wings in the Amazon, a tsunami is born in, in, in Indonesia. Whether we live thoughtlessly or thoughtfully, it has a profound, powerful and visible effect in all aspects of our lives. It is not possible to pollute the water of the lake we swim in without that pollution affecting us. That is the reason I believe that the most important thing for us to do and to teach our children to do is to live thoughtfully. With this in mind, I have delineated the elements of living thoughtfully and have suggested some attitudes that we should work on developing as well as some tools which I believe will be helpful in achieving our ends. I've used these tools personally and I've taught them for many years and know that they work. In our modern commercial society, we have reduced everything to its dollar value even where the matter has no monetary value as such. But it's critical to success in life. For example, what's the monetary value of integrity? But we are all aware that the present financial crisis that the whole world is affected by is rooted in a lack of integrity at the highest levels of economy and government. If the decision makers sitting in their ivory towers had been people of integrity, we would not be in this mess. Yet almost nobody speaks of the core reason for this situation. 
Similarly, we have reduced education, healthcare, food production and distribution, the care of the elderly and many such matters to businesses. I say reduced because to me, education is for life, not to make a living. Or at least not to make a living alone. Healthcare is about concern for the sick and a desire to alleviate their suffering as effectively and cheaply as possible. It's not about showing a decent ROI, a decent return on investment on the hospital's balance sheet. Food production and distribution is about feeding those who are starving, no matter where they may be, and not about throwing wheat into the sea, because otherwise it would depress global prices on commodity exchange on commodity exchanges. Many organizations that spend in the name of CSR, corporate social responsibility, are more concerned about the tax breaks they get for their spend. In fact, they spend nothing for social welfare prior to the tax breaks bearing mute testimony to the fact. What are we saying about ourselves as human beings when the death of people due to starvation has less value for us than the price of wheat and therefore the return on our future's trade? Do we stop to reflect? Do we care? Yet we call ourselves civilized? That is why I believe and operate from the Islamic principle of accountability before Allah from whom nothing is hidden and to whom we will have to answer for all that we did or chose not to do. <clears throat> that is Islam. I am sharing this with you because this is my foundation when I speak about living thoughtfully, to live constantly with the awareness of accountability in my mind and so always strive to please Allah. There are six critical elements to living thoughtfully. The first one is goals, short term and long term. The second one is criteria, measurement of measuring them and implementation. The third one is reflection. What happened? What do I learn? The fourth one, choices. Indirect control and through others. Number five, risk. Long term and immediate. Number six, legacy. What do I want to be remembered for? So let's look at them individually. First one is goals. As they say, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. But that step must be on the right path and going in the right direction. What is the right path? The path that leads to the goal which you want to achieve. So before all else comes the goal. We call it by many names. Vision is one, but goal is what it is. Where are you headed? Where do you want to reach? The, the greater our clarity about this, the higher will be our energy and motivation to work towards it. Long term. What is the vision? What is the result you want to achieve? Why does it excite you? Whoa. Some questions that we need to ask. Now, in order to get this clarity, a good way is to imagine and draw what the achieved state will be like. How different will it be from the current state? How beneficial will be that difference? Interestingly, the bigger the difference, the more the benefit, the higher its power to pull us in that direction. I call this positive stress. It is like the head of a water. It's like the head of water in a hydroelectric dam. The higher the head, the more its power to generate electricity. And that's why it's in the very nature of extraordinary goals to inspire extraordinary effort. Another benefit of clearly, clearly visualizing the achieved state, and that is the goal, is that it gives us perspective. Perspective is the ability to hold two pictures in our mind simultaneously, where we are and where we want to go. The differential fuels growth. 
Imagine being lost in a featureless desert or in a dense forest. If you want to find a way out, you will seek a high place. Climb to the top of it and try to look for a way to get out. When you are standing on the top of that hill and have now seen the lights of a village far in the distance, you will be able to chart a course to reach there. That is perspective. At that time, you are able to see the two pictures, where you are now and where you want to go. This is essential in life because without perspective, we will not be able to appreciate the magnitude of the goal and what needs to be done to achieve it. This brings us to a challenge. How can I make others dream my dream? The big, the big reason is that almost anything worth dedicating our lives to will require at least some others to also dedicate their lives to the achievement of that goal. That means two things. Our goal must help them achieve their own personal goals and we need to be able to show them how this will happen. Inspiring others is therefore about allowing others into our mind and letting them see the pictures we are seeing and into our hearts and letting them feel what we are feeling. It's about connecting at various levels and that needs building trust. It is when people love you and trust you that they are willing to be inspired by you and to dedicate their lives to enable you to make your dream come through. As they say, people, de as they say, people don't work for organizations. They work for other people. Read, the, read about the life of any great leader and you will find that his followers loved him more than anyone else. It is this love that binds. It is this love that enables the person to wake up in the morning eager to meet you and to stay up late in the night to complete an unfinished task. What people will do for love, they will not do for any other reason. Not duty, not money, not even for their own careers. Emotion is the basis of all action. All mediocre results are the consequences of a lack of passion. What we ourselves don't believe in, we can't inspire others to do. We can only give what we have, and so our own passion must never diminish. Passion is not simply irrational feeling. Passion is the result of an absolute conviction that the achievement of our goal will change our world and to believe that it is worth doing and the willingness to dedicate the time, energy and resources to make it happen. This creates a higher sense of purpose of being among those entrusted with directing the path of destiny. Passion results in a sense of pride in our work because our work defines us. People who are passionate about their tasks need no supervision, no monitoring. They set their own targets and routinely overachieve. They drive their own supervisors and team members to be the best they can. They inspire everyone. That is why passion is, in my opinion, critical to success. Now, all short, all long-term goals must be broken into shorter-term results. So what's the immediate gain? How, how important is it to get that? How will it change the situation if I can get it? It is essential to answer these questions because in the pursuit of long-term goals, it is easy to lose steam along the way and diminish your efforts or even to lose direction. Immediate gains not only motivate but make the all too important point of proving to people that your way works, that the goal is actually achievable. Achievement of long-term goals is helped by having those goals clearly articulated and announced with a reward on the achievement of each. This encourages the spirit and gives people a sense of achievement and gives them hope in eventual success, no matter how tough the going currently might be. Celebrating small successes encourages the heart, especially in the cold, dark stretches of the night, when self-doubt raises its head and you wonder if you can really win. Finally, in many cases, 
Short term success pre-qualifies and in some cases is essential if the long term goal is to be achieved. A good example is Gandhiji's salt satyagraha, the march to the beach in Dundee to make salt to defy the law under British India. It was a small t- step but it was in the right direction and shook the foundations of the colonial government. The salt satyagraha in itself did not rid India of British colonialism but it was an immediate goal which gave people a sense of achievement and success and proved to them that Gandhiji's highly unconventional way of protest through non-violent means would actually succeed. It was such steps that Gandhiji took very successfully that gradually built support for his ideas of ahimsa and people started to believe that the behemoth of the British colonial government which had governed India for more than a century could actually be unseated and expelled without a bloody and violent revolution. Small successes are very important and can often spell the difference between success and failure of the long-term goal. We come to the next one which is criteria. Once we have clearly articulated the goal, the next step is to determine our criteria of success and how we are going to measure it. I believe that measurement is essential because it is the only way we have of knowing clearly what we achieved. Without measurement, it's possible to have a false feeling of success, especially if we worked hard and long at something. The fact, however, is that unless we can measure it, it doesn't exist. There are two aspects to measurement. Ongoing measurement of progress and periodic assessment against the standard to determine whether our progress is adequate or not. Measurement is the reality check in all situations. What we can measure, we can control. What we can control, we can guarantee. That is why measurement is the soul of any product or service in the area of quality enhancement. So, what must we measure? Measurement parameters must take into account both quantum and time. How much must be achieved by when. It's a good idea to set parameters collaboratively because people's participation helps us to understand their susceptibilities, their difficulties, fears and aspirations. It is essential to understand all these things because ultimately their efforts will be affected by all of them. As Nelson Mandela said, don't address their brains, address their hearts. Inspiration belongs to the heart. Inviting people to participate in setting measurement parameters is also a very powerful step to build trust. It is the best way to demonstrate respect for them as team members and to show that they are seen as equal partners and stakeholders in the results. People respond to this by owning responsibility and interestingly set parameters which are often more ambitious than you would have set for them yourself. With the big difference that since these measurement parameters were set by themselves, They are more willing to abide by them and don't see them as being thrust down their throat from above. Finally, a word on stretch goals. It's a very good idea to set both a normal and a stretch parameter for each step and to have different rewards for them. This encourages people to aspire to excel and to set records, to stretch their own beliefs about what they had hitherto thought themselves incapable of doing. Doing this collaboratively once again helps to create ownership for the stretch goal, which otherwise can become a stretch in itself. All these are often wonderful exercises in building communication between team members and the team leader 
and help to iron out any areas of potential conflict. Once the parameters are agreed on, we need to institutionalize implementation. The most critical matter is to apply the standard without fear or favor. Nothing sabotages morale like varying standards, different strokes for different folks. This is not the preferred method. After taking the trouble to set parameters collaboratively, it is essential to apply them impartially. The best way to ensure impartiality is to do the assessment also collaboratively. This creates an atmosphere of high transparency and reinforces trust. Naturally, it is possible that there may be some mitigating circumstances in a particular case which prevented somebody from achieving his target. Once again, collaborative assessment of the situation and deciding on that basis removes all possibility of bias. The rule is that mitigating circumstances are always exceptions and not the rule. Finally, there may be a situation where the goal itself needs to be revised upwards or downwards. It is a good idea to periodically examine the goal in the light of changing global situations and see if it needs to be changed. In this process, sometimes new understanding emerges about the means of achieving the goal and so this process must be documented. Number three is reflection. We have embarked on our journey. We face situations. What do we learn? How will this learning help us in going forward? How will it make the rest of the journey easier, safer, cheaper, more productive? All this and more can be achieved by taking time out to reflect. Still time is what I call it. Time to simply sit still in active contemplation of events with the intention to learn from them. To the external world, you may appear to be doing nothing, but you are actually engaged in one of the most important activities of mankind, learning. One of the diseases of our modern times is what I call busyness. The big value that we place on activity by itself. We rush around telling ourselves and everyone else that we are very busy and we have no time and so on. Then when we collapse on the sofa before the TV in the evening, feeling very satisfied that we had a very busy day, if someone were to present us with a pad and a pen and say to us, please write down what you achieved today by being so busy, most of us would not be able to write anything at all. We have created a culture where it's almost a crime to be inactive, to simply be, to, simply be, to breathe, to watch the world go by, to contemplate. The result is that we seem to have lost the skill to do this beneficially and end up with a feeling of, of having wasted our time and rush back into the apparent safety of frenetic activity to which we have become accustomed. This is, this is very detrimental to learning, improving our methods, enhancing our productivity and enjoying our lives. Reflection is not a waste of time. Structured reflection is the best use of time that we could possibly make because it gives us the possibility of changing our methods to make them more useful. Reflection helps us to create concepts and theories which we can apply and eventually pass on to others. Unless we reflect, we can't learn. And unless we take time out to be still, we can't reflect. 